Hello Legends. Today, I catch up with Cub member Dan Thomas, CEO of training and creative development company Space on Earth. Dan is a true creative entrepreneur owning several boutique design firms. He also has a passion for improv, comedy and performance and shares many of the key lessons that business owners can learn from improv artists including the importance of collaboration when creating and not shutting down ideas, but building on them, how to actively listen in order to build real relationships and keys to public speaking success. Dan is a true creative who brings the creativity to the business world in a beautiful way. Enjoy the show. What do you think of our new clubhouse? great it's amazing yeah. yeah yeah yeah. it's a big step up eh yeah like i mean i saw it for the first time yesterday um i mean it, you've only been in here a week or so but it was probably not what i expected and i mean that in a good way <laughs> what did you expect no no just like you come in and I, I i thought i was in the wrong place like i was like is this like a luxury hotel like it had just like a really really nice vibe like that sounds bad now like i was expecting something not impressive but you know, it's just like it was well, such I'm a nice job. I'm happy that you were impressed. <laughs> <laughs> it was such a nice job that I was like just caught off guard. I'm like, wow, this looks like such a step up from Amazing. the previous place. Yeah, well, yeah. when I, I I mean, today's the first day I've seen it at this like level of doneness. And I walked, you know, I had the same reaction as you. I was like, shit, this is so much better than any of the other clubs we've ever had. I was like, it might mean we're going to need it. You know, it's an expensive upgrade because now every other club is going to have to match it and the city's going to have to be improved. So I was like, oh, shit, yeah. good things can also be <laughs> can also be scary. But but it's good to get you on the – welcome to the show. Thank you. And Thank you, you, you're a podcaster yourself, um, so you should be a smooth operator yeah. in today's conversation. But what's your podcast about? Uh, so one that I do is called A Bit Spursy. It's for the, the football or the soccer team I go for, Tottenham. Um, and that's with a friend of mine who we were just chatting about Spurs, like messaging all the time, and we thought let's just record it and see what happens. Um, and we're both performers, so we kind of just have a little bit of fun with it. It's pretty light and silly and nothing too serious. Uh, and then the other one is for Space and Earth and talking to other creatives and instructors, performers, teachers, um, and sort of exploring their process. And, and Space and Earth like is your new business, yes? Yeah, that's right. Because yeah. when you joined Cub – that wasn't the business. No. No. When I joined it was uh, I think Volta initially where we're focusing on branding, web design, basically anything in the kind of design sphere. Um, and then we – this is with my ex-business partner, Paul. We were then doing 3D artwork and uh, that was through Loft Garden. Um, and, and so you're not with Loft Garden anymore? No, no. So we did a few projects for that. Like I know the cardio one, which is outside your office in, in Sydney. Oh, yeah, remember I sent you the photo? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you had the, I mean, getting the contract to do the external um, artwork for the Cartier building and brand is a big deal. Yeah. Like that's that means you guys did something right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, Paul is like just such a talented artist that he built up this big following online and, you know, had sort of almost half a million Instagram followers. And from that they just started coming in this brand interest for, you know, brands wanting to get some of that. So that's why we kind of pivoted to focus on doing um, – I guess we were always flexible. Like when whatever design we were doing, it was like, well, let's go in this direction, let's go in that direction – um, just sort of exploring the opportunities that came up. And so from the interest in his work, they're just, yeah, it's like, all right, let's drop all the, the other design work we're doing and let's sort of go into the, the 3D side of things. And 
do that. And yeah, so his artwork was up on the side of the building for a year with, uh, I think, four different variations across that time. And yeah, it was a fun project. And, and so, but tell me about the new company. So Space on Earth, what yeah. does that do? Uh, so that's more in the, so there's kind of, I guess, two sides to it. So one is uh, working with sort of creatives and performers and running workshops to help them um, sort of further establish themselves or or push forward in their own discipline, whether that's sort of sketch writing, improv, uh, acting, stand-up, uh, podcasting, streaming, any sort of thing in that realm. Um, and then the other side of that is a professional training and development side, which is basically taking a lot of the principles that apply to those creative disciplines and seeing how we can actually positively impact businesses with that. And so ha- walk me through the, like what would be something that you would, if you did a workshop for like Team Cub, yeah. what would we be gaining from that? Yeah, so um, usually I'd, I'd chat and just see like what, are there any um, sort of current issues that you're facing? Like is it around maybe some internal communication? Um, it could just be general team morale type things. It could be a scenario where you've got a lot of people who might, want to increase their confidence in terms of public speaking in front of groups or um, just even running workshops themselves. So we would then run workshops that sort of uh, are focused on those different areas and that's mostly done through um, improvisation and improv comedy. Um, So that's where it's like there's just a really big crossover between jumping up on stage and and making up a comedy show on the spot that goes for like, you know, 30 minutes an hour or so. and it's the same, like the same principles. It's like weird in that sense, but I guess it's just life skills. But they they really transfer across really, really well. Public speaking is a scary thing. Like some people natural, some people not. My brother's a natural. I'm actually not. And I've I've done so, obviously have to do so many speaking things that I got I get used to it. But even like last week, I had to do this. Uh, the, we had the boa launch the media launch, and I'd say a speech. Actually, while I was up on the stage, like mid while I was saying, and I practice my speeches a lot. Like they sound really casual and shit, but but it's because I practice them a lot. I can yeah. say them casually. And I actually like had a mind blank, like, and I hadn't done that for years. And like luckily I had, I had screwed up enough speeches in my life to know <laughs> that, you know, when that happens to just be kind of honest and be authentic, like kind of say it to the people. And normally that gets them on your side. They're like, oh, wow, you know, he's relatable, he, you know, he's nervous, whatever whatever they think, but, but anything to get you through. But, but that actually happened to me and I was yeah. like, this is so weird. Like I say speeches, or it feels like I say them weekly, hasn't happened to me in years and all of a sudden it, 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 it like I was almost stumped. I, I, I saved it. It was still a hectic speech. It was still a great speech. But, yeah. but, but, um, but public speaking is one of those things that – so – you, you can help people kind of get better at that. Yeah. So like I guess like one of the, the um, so imp- improv and improvised comedy, that's kind of like my main discipline in that sphere. And a big part of that is you're getting up on stage in front of an audience and you're putting on a show with nothing. You get a one word suggestion from the crowd, um, usually not doing it by yourself. I mean, you can do solo <laughs> improv, but you've, you're usually in a group with, let's say between two to eight people. And you just ask for a word suggestion and then based off of that, you'll just go off and do a show. Um, So you've got nothing when you're in that scenario. And so when you're stepping out to do scenes, um, the best sort of state you can be in is to be completely blank and not thinking of anything at all. So the more that you get, like you get yourself in that situation, um, 
it initially feels kind of stressful because you're like, what do I do? What do I say? Oh, no, oh, no. But then after doing that a few times, like for me it took four or five shows and then any sort of nervousness just dripped away and it, it was like stepping out into that void where I there is nothing planned and my mind is completely sort of blank and like trying to be as present as possible. That just felt more comfortable than anything. I think being present is the key to that too. But, but, oh, I don't know because like I'm trying to remember last week. I was present and that I think it was a phone call, like a phone rang yeah. and like it brought my attention to the fact that, okay, well, there's a bunch of people standing in front of me while I'm doing this. Yeah. And then like it was because I became present, like in the moment I was like, oh, shit, like everyone's looking at me. Then I went blank. Like I've just forgot what I was supposed to say. Yeah. So I feel like I was in that state you're talking about. Then I screwed it up because I didn't actually like – I saved it, but like I didn't – I wasn't at peace. So you're saying that state, that like kind of presentness, that blankness, you want to get to a point where that's a good position because you can use that as a base level to to move into any direction. Yeah, definitely. But also like how do you think you screwed it up? Well, I, it was still a great speech and I actually think it made me feel more relatable. A lot of people have – yeah. always think I'm confident and I can go speak in front of things and I do this. So I actually think it worked to my advantage. But, 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 and the reality is I, I'm, I don't like speaking. I just have to do it. So I do yeah. it. Um, but the, screw up in the sense that you've got a speech, you want to say it, how you practice it, yeah. and you practice it 200 times. So you should, there's no reason you should screw this thing up. And I, I mean, I'm speaking right now on behalf of anyone that's ever screwed up a speech before. <laughs> um, you want to say it how you practice it. But the reality maybe is that that's not going to happen and you should be able to be flexible. Yeah. I think like part of like the improv mindset towards that would be that you don't necessarily have this idea of how the speech is going to go in a sense. Like you prepare for it, but then acknowledging any of those things that happen and then playing with those moments. So if a phone goes off, like you can acknowledge that in a speech. If you've got cue cards and you sort of mess up the order – um, instead of say thinking like, oh no, I've got to scramble and everyone's watching me. Oh, what's going on? Like time changes in your mind and you think this is 10 minutes and everyone's losing yes, it. Yes, that's the feeling. But it's realistically a second or two. And if you're just acknowledging what's happening, like if, if you're like, well, this is what happens when you have too many cue cards, play to like the honesty of what's going on. People connect with that. Like what you said, it makes you yeah, more relatable. Be honest. Yeah. yeah. Like I even said, I think like, what I say, Laura? I said something out loud like, Wow. My mind hasn't gone blank in a speech in a long time, you know, and like everyone laughed. But yeah. like, cause like for me it felt like a minute that I hadn't said anything. I've watched the video back. It was probably like four seconds. Yeah. But, but <laughs> like for me it was a long time. Yeah. And, and that did save. See, so what you're saying when, when you're up there, you're saying a speech, something goes wrong, just kind of either acknowledge it. If, if, you, if you need to acknowledge it just to kind of get through, it's good to do that. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And if you need to, just take a deep breath. It's okay. And understanding that time will feel different to you because you'll feel like the attention of the room is all on you and they are looking at you, but they're not up there going like, oh, no, Daniel, stop talking for two seconds. <laughs> Idiot. Oh, no, <laughs> what's going on? This speech is completely off the rails. I'm going to storm out of here. Most likely everyone in the room's like going to be thinking more so about themselves and thinking like, wow, I couldn't get up and speak in front of this room. <laughs> That's such a good point. Yeah. That's such a good point. That's like when, you, when you're young and you make a fool out, of, fool out of yourself out one night and you're like, oh, my God, what's everyone going to think about what I did? And yeah. then you wake up the next day and you realise, well, wait, they're all worried about what they did. <laughs> totally. Totally. And, and I think it's another thing you get from like, say, performing and, and realising it's like 
you're not as important as you think you are when it comes to the negative things, but you're a lot more important than you think you are when it comes to the positive things. Yeah. So like when you're exhibiting these positive traits, like that's what's really going to sort of connect with people. But any of these negative things, like if you're up there being toxic, of course people are going to be like, wow, this is not great. But if you're making, you know, mistakes, like mistakes I think in that sense are things that should be embraced because it's like more human to do that. If you want like a perfect speech that's like written like, then I don't know, just record it and play it through a speaker or or get some like AI-generated bot to to give it. But like those imperfections I think make it um, so much more relatable. And so you've obviously had a, a, a bunch of creative businesses um, before, most of which in graphic design like or design of some element like you were saying. But where did you actually start? What's your background? Where did you study? What did, what did you would you, did you become an actor? I don't, you know, are you, are you um, flattered to have that uh, question asked? Um, well, I I studied multimedia and digital arts. That was the first thing. Uh, I wanted to get into film and TV, but I didn't have the marks for that. And I thought it was weird that you hadn't needed marks instead of like a show us the film you made. Um, but so I started getting into that, and then I started freelancing when I was at uni. And um, at the time, one of my friends said, "Hey, you should jump on MySpace." So this is showing how old I am. Um, MySpace is going off, like, you know, you could maybe get some work on there doing some design. And I thought, that's silly. That I don't want to I don't want to do that. But then I gave it a go. And so I started doing like I was into hip hop at the time. So I started doing a lot of like logos and um like mixtape artwork and and working out how to design a MySpace page. Um, because that's at the time when I don't know if this is relevant to anyone because it's like almost maybe 20 years ago, but like they started allowing you to code your page a little bit and make it kind of crazy. Um, and so I started trying to work out how to do that and then started getting work from that. Um, so the big, big client that I did stuff for at the time was 50 Cent. And that was from a, a local producer here who I just, you know, sent him, hey, hey man, how are you? I'll do your logo for free. I'm just trying to like build up a portfolio and – and do that. And then he just happened to be sending music over to uh, G-Unit Records and 50 Cent's label. Uh, and they said, look, look, you're a designer. Can we, can we work with them? We like their work. And then so it was very, very weird being just like this like 18-year-old like white kid. <laughs> yeah. And then suddenly doing like a lot of like, you know, gangster rap <laughs> artwork and like 50 Cent, Mob Deep, um, like Cypress Hill, like all these sort of artists uh, – doing bits and pieces for that. So well, you were doing their logos in their MySpace design. MySpace design, some like album and mixtape covers. Um, That's cool. Things like that. Um, yeah. And so I got like maybe two, three years of work sort of off the back of that. of just constantly people wanting, um, yeah, bits and pieces. And it just sort of kept going uh, that way. So it also happened. Uh, I don't know if I'm trying to say this as like to, I don't know why, but um, at the time, I got a message from a manager who was, he's like, hey, I've got this Canadian artist. He's getting some views on the page. Justin Bieber. Close. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Close in the fact that they're Canadian. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, oh, oh, they're starting to get some views on the page. Do you want to do the page? And I said, yeah, 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 cool. But like, you got to give me some money. I know. Let's, let's work that out. And they're like, no, you can just put your logo on. And I was like, well, I do that anyway. Just let's, come on. And then they said, no, we don't want to pay anything. And then that went away. And that artist turned out to be Drake. No. So, yes. So, but then once Drake like um, really sort of like popped off like a year later, I messaged back the manager. I was like, hey, look, if you're still looking for something. 
<laughs> no reply. <laughs> no reply. <laughs> but see, that is an interesting. <laughs> it's an interesting concept because when you are starting out, it is good to do things for free to build up your portfolio. To but you, really, what I think when you're doing things for free at the start, it's not just to build up your portfolio. It's actually to build up your network. Mm. You're building relationships that can then serve you further and refer you to people and things like that. Now, was not doing Drake's <laughs> designs a mistake? Probably, but but I think that the fact that you had that um, you had that like you you were you you were doing good work. You had that line in the sand. You decided, no, now I'm doing work. I've done enough free work. Now I, I need to get paid. That's an important step for a, particularly a young like when young people are first getting into business or get, getting into anything. Yeah, having mm. that 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 transition, I'm no longer doing things for free now. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, business, you need to be paid. Otherwise you can't do anything. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And I think as well, I always looked at it like, I guess not even looking at it as doing things for free, like looking at like, well, what am I getting out of this? And I think I'm always down for sort of work where you're getting something in return. But yeah, it reached the point where I was getting so many requests coming through that were like, hey, I can't afford anything. Can you do my site? Do my site? And it was just like, I need to eat. I need to. Yeah. I can't afford anything either, man. No I one's paying yeah. me. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> so yeah, I agree with that. It's like you get to a point where you're like, no, well, this is what you know. This is what I'm worth for this, and you, you know, certain contra deals can still be worked out for various things, but there has to be some sort of exchange. Yeah, every relationship needs to be mutually beneficial. Otherwise, yeah. it's just not going to be a relationship. It doesn't matter. It's not going to last the relationship. It doesn't matter if it's your your life partner, your business partner, an employee. Everyone except for your mum. That 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 yeah, can be yeah. one way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> She'll stay, but the rest of them they'll, they'll leave. So you need like, even though you were doing something for free, you knew you were getting that return, that credibility, that network expansion, um, and that notoriety in yeah. doing that for, yeah. for those people. Oh, definitely. And I think that's also why I've always been against spec work um, as a concept. And I know that like in a lot of industries, there's like going and pitching for things and. And all this sort of stuff. And I've always been against that idea of like, we're going to go put all this work in off our own time um, just in the hope that you might like it and then you might want to engage us and work with us. Because I feel like as well it puts you in such a – like it starts off the relationship in such a submissive point where you're already going like, well, our work is kind of worthless in and a it sense. It needs to be proved. Yeah, and it yeah. needs to be proved. Yeah, I agree with you. And Confidence. Yeah. You need confidence, in your, in, especially in your product you're providing a service. Yeah. You should have confidence in the fact that your service is great and it's worth paying for now. Yeah, totally. And I think, like, if, if people have seen some of your previous work, that's it. They've seen what you are capable of. So, like, we've had meetings with, like, you know, large companies and they've we've gone in and it, they expected it to be more of, like, a pitch where we were going to actually show ideas and show work to them. But we would just tell them what our process is. And, and sort of walk, walk them through that. So it's like if you engage us, this is how we work. These are the steps that we go through. So we want to make this very clear. And then sometimes you get to the end of the meeting and they're like, oh, so are you going to give us the ideas now? And then we said, no, no, that's the first stage in the process that you have to like engage us for. And then we do that. And then there's a pause and they're like, yep, checks out. So whereas I think like maybe when I was a lot younger, I would have been more likely to sort of panic then and think like, oh, no, 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 I need to like, all right, on the spot, okay, uh, maybe we could do this, maybe we could do that. But I think like you say, like that confidence is what kind of drives so much of like 
you don't have to give up that much if you're sort of confidently presenting what you're capable of. Yeah. And I guess confidence is currently what you're teaching people as well in, in this latest business. It's really a lot of what you're saying is confidence, confidence in speaking, confidence in in being on stage or being a comedian or confidence in communication between the team. Confidence is, is really a, a big focus of yours at the moment. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's kind of at the, the bedrock of most things. And I think that leads into like something else that I, I, I think works really well in improv and then in other ways as well is, um, you know, focusing on people's strengths rather than their weaknesses and building up their confidence towards their strengths. So instead of trying to say make everyone this like rounded off orb that has no weaknesses and, um, and anything like that, like obviously if someone's got a really bad weakness that is detrimental to, <laughs> to the team, the business, anything, of course that has to be sort of dealt with. But instead of always looking at things of like, well, this is what this person is weak at, this is what they, um, you know, they're not excelling at, let's work on bringing that up, thinking like, well, what are they actually really individually talented at and sort of pushing that and giving them the confidence as well to not worry about their weaknesses. It's just a different way of thinking about things. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of like is it half empty or is it half full? Yeah. You know, like looking at someone and being what, what where is this person's strengths and how can we make them even happier because people are normally happier when they're doing things that they're good at. So how can we make them even happier but also help them improve even further yeah. on those on those strengths. I think that is uh, normally as business, sometimes you, you, sometimes you focus, you, it's easy to focus on the things that are wrong. Like yeah. the things that someone does, that's just annoying. It's like, just, like, you know, <laughs> I wouldn't have done that like that. Yeah. Especially as the owner. Cause you're always thinking, Oh, I would have done that better. You know? So yeah. it, it really, you should be looking at it. What are the things that person does that you can't do? You know, how yeah. do you, how do you make them even better at those things? Yeah, definitely. Um, how do you? How do you? Yeah, like, well, so is this something you train people on, or is this is this something? Is this a concept that you um, that you're just very aware of and that you've implemented, or is it something that you work with teams on on actually doing and managers on actually doing? Yeah, well, I think it's like um, on a personal, like individual level, it's like working out where people like. I guess you need to see where people are not comfortable with initially, um, and then seeing where they do already, sort of value themselves a little bit because then you get a good idea of like how they how they generally think and where they're standing where their confidence is right now and you can tell that like if you get people in a room and start doing some kind of basic improv exercises you can pretty quickly start picking up like um who's exhibiting different strengths in different areas but then it's like really finding out like um what are the kind of roadblocks that people are having and why don't they feel confident enough to push them push sorry push themselves out there um, share their story f- more or like why aren't they speaking up in meetings? And it c- it's it's like it can be hard to kind of nail down because sometimes it could be the leadership who Suppress. is not that uh, – yeah, and they're not open and they're not encouraging that environment to like promote that creativity and c- collaboration. Or it could be the the people are sort of lacking that confidence in that area. So I think when you – like when we're doing workshops that, that focus on using improv, it's like building off – just a bunch of certain core principles that kind of address all these different areas. And then we can focus on certain things depending on what we're noticing is happening. So if we're doing a a session, say with a a group and let's say the manager's in there and we notice that the manager is um, kind of a little bit overbearing and they are sort of maybe shutting down everyone else, then that's something to like sort of, uh, which will just sort of, you know, you put in the back of your head and you're like, all right, cool. 
some of the exercises we're going to focus on sort of trying to suppress that and open up their um, open up the way that they're communicating to make everyone else feel like they can um, step up and, and and give their opinion. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's very easy as a as an as a as a boss to shut down an idea. In fact, it's a lot easier to shut down an idea, and I think that. Sometimes you people do it, and I've seen people do it, whether it be the owner or a manager, they do it without being kind of aware that they're doing it. It's kind of like, well, because I already believe that this is the right way to do it, I therefore don't believe that what you're suggesting is the right way to do it because I've already made up my mind on this way. Yeah, And that can be something that, you know, that we as business owners can accidentally fall into and something that you need to kind of catch yourself on you know, when speaking to people and are you constantly shutting down ideas? And if so, why? Yeah. You know, is, is, is it just because you've already decided that that's, this is the, you know, option A is the way we're going to go as opposed to option B, C or D? Or is it because you don't think that person's very smart? Or is it because <laughs> you don't think they understand what they're talking? You know, what is the reason? And, and because some of the best shit comes from when the team is in that zone in a meeting, everyone's laughing, everyone's kind of, you know, those meetings when yeah. the energy, you know, when the energy's high and everything just sounds like an amazing idea. Like, <laughs> I don't know if that's everyone or just my bipolar, but, but you know, <laughs> when you get in that zone and you're like, oh my God, how did we never think of that before? Like you, when you go in those and everyone gets excited, start saying, what about this? What about the, that, that kind of uh, inclusivity of ideas. Yeah. Like you can get some great golden nuggets from that. Oh, totally. I think it's um, Rick Rubin, the music producer, he talks about um, having like the difference between creativity without expectations versus creativity with expectations. And I think this is where that plays into it as well. So if you're going into a meeting and you've already got the idea and you're you're the boss and you're going in, you've already got the idea of where you want it to go and you're just having the meeting just to maybe make other, all right, you can get your opinions out sort of that sort of vibe. The meeting's never going to feel good and you're probably not going to get a strong idea out the back of it because you've already shut off. You've already gone, this is what we're going with. Whereas if you're heading into that space truly being like, I don't actually know where we're going to end up with, but I value everyone's opinion in here. And that doesn't matter where they are. It doesn't matter if they're like a middle manager. It doesn't matter if they're like a new recruit. It doesn't, ma- like, doesn't matter. Like everyone is capable of adding ideas and everyone is capable of planting seeds that can grow into great ideas with everyone else sort of watering them. So I think that Again, two of the things that really stand out to me in improv, which helps with this, is there's like the idea of yes and, which is kind of what improv is built on. And so yes and is effectively the yes is accepting and acknowledging um, what has happened previously and then the and is adding to it. So how that works in improv scene is if we're doing an improv scene and and I say like, oh, cool, we're, we're playing baseball, and you come out here and go like, no, we're not, we're in space. Suddenly that's off to a really bad start because we're already disagreeing, we're already rejecting what's being said. Um, Same goes in any sort of like meeting context or any brainstorming context, whereas if you come up with an idea for something and then I am already going, "Mm, no, I was thinking more this, we're already shutting off to that process to actively really start collaborating with each other. So it should have gone like, hey, look, we're playing baseball. Baseball, yeah, and we're playing it in space. <laughs> yeah, like you can do that as well. Like so you can inject the fun into the idea, but it's about just removing the no attitude. Yes. And it's also this idea that like butts are just no's in disguise. So um, you'll often hear people go, yes, but da-da-da-da. 
And they think that the yes is acknowledging the idea, but then the but is just giving their opinion. And right, that's great. I've, I've addressed what that person said and now I've given something else to it. But a yes, but is just like a no. Um, it's probably even in my mind worse than a no. Yeah, it's almost like an insulting no. Like yeah. you're lying to me about it being a yes, but really it's a no. Yeah, totally. And so it, it sort of, again, it's like that's something we work on, like yes, but that's, that's, that's not a great way to go about things either. And so it's important to go like yes here does not mean saying yes to absolutely everything and saying, wow, any idea is incredible. But it's looking of like if we're coming up with ideas here, if we're working on something, let's not judge it at this point. Let's focus on like building the car and then seeing how it drives rather than thinking like mm, we've got to, mm, that's not going to work, that's not going to work. So that's like one core thing that sort of improv is built on. So how do you works f- in that way? And how do you feel the yes and then impacts things? So someone comes up with an idea, and what what are other what how should others be trained to respond to that idea? I think it's like not to judge it, not to shut it down, and to like look and like respond to what the person has said. So if you like, if we were working on something, and you said, all right, let's say we're creating an app, right? And I'm like, all right, we're creating an app to um, order drinks. To I oh, know we're creating an app to connect business owners. So you're on board. There we go. You're I on, am on board. I know you're on board. <laughs> Good. You better be. This is where the ticket comes up below yeah. the screen. <laughs> uh, yeah. So if it's an app to connect, connect business owners, if you said, hey, let's work on an app to connect business owners. If my first response is like, yeah, but I was sort of thinking maybe it could also do this or do this. We're already starting to like diverge away from each other. Whereas if you said um, an app to create business owners and I'm like, yeah, and maybe it could do this. And then you would reply, yeah, and maybe it could do this, maybe it could do this. We're starting to like branch out and then we could come up with some idea then that is it might still be have this like at its core, but. You've built like a tree of ideas. Building a tree of ideas that then we can look at and go, all right, great, we've actually really got something here if we connect this, this, and this. But you don't get there if you just keep like yeah, lobbing off those branches whenever they start sprouting. Mm. So really just encouraging that growth of like conceptualization first. And it might not even be that they're all relevant for the immediate, but you might be coming up with future ideas that are relevant for what, you know, like, yeah, wow, you know, that could be where we end up in three years' time. You know, that that final branch we just said, that that's really cool. Like it doesn't even need to be encouraged to be the now. It can be encouraged to be like the future. Oh, Definitely. And it's like some of those branches, they might feel like they're diverging, but then they come back. So if you're, again, still pushing that same approach, it's like you could have, all right, we're doing this app to, co- to connect business owners. And then and then what if I was like, yeah, and maybe the app could play music as well. That might be seem like, all right, we're getting away a little bit. But then from that, it might come like, hang on, what about music executives? Like that would be good to get on the app and do that. So then when we go back and look at it, we might look and go, actually, the music, like playing music and having an embedded music player in there, that probably isn't going to add the value that we're looking for. But we've actually worked out this niche of like music executives really need this place to come and connect, for an example. Mm -hmm. Man, who would have thought improv had so much relevance towards business? (laughs) (laughs) I always love it when people like you uh, do business, like super creatives, and then they just also have gotten to business. Have you ever found like – you know, often they'll say that you know, a business person's either a creative kind of person or a operational person. I know you're a creative person, <laughs> but have you ever struggled with that, with that other side of things, or how have you managed that when starting your businesses? Um, 
I think I've sort of been okay once I was able to separate the sides of it. So I think when I started out as a designer, my thought was I'm creating things. That's the most important thing. I need to create it. If people disagree with the vision, then that's where there's – I'm not not confrontationally, but you're like, oh, they can't. Oh, they want that to be red instead. No, it has to be blue. There's no way that could work with its red. And then you get kind of too caught up in just trying to create and be an artist in that sense. But then I think when you are able to split it and go like, all right, well, I'm solving a problem for a client, if this is sort of client work we're talking about, um, great. I might not always get like the full creative – release that I need from that project. So then I'm going to have something on the side that I'm pushing, which allows me to really explore that creativity whenever I want. So then I found it like easier to sort of, I guess, compartmentalize a little bit, but to switch between different modes and be able to say, work on things organizationally and look at say systemization and processes. And um, a book I really love is um, by Dan Heath about like upstream thinking and, 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 it's like instead of always trying to solve the problem that you just see at the um, surface level, like digging deeper and going like, all right, what is actually causing that? How can we improve that process overall? So I think that when I started separating things a little bit, it allowed me to become better at both sides because I wasn't putting the pressure of everything into one spot. If and I guess you're kind of like saying, okay, when I'm focusing on this, I'm looking at it with an operational Right. When I'm, yeah. when I'm doing this, this is, I'm really bringing my creativity out. So you kind of, you kind of allowing each side of your, of your brain to fully express itself when needed. Yeah. And you're not trying to just have it tick all those boxes at every single moment. Yeah. It's kind of like what you were saying with people, you lift up their strengths. Yeah. It, like focus on the strengths, not, not the negatives or, or not the things that they're weak at. Um, uh, in this sense, it's more like, okay, in this meeting, we're going to focus on the create creativity yeah. you know, as opposed to worrying about the, okay, how that's going to work. And, you know, they, let's just be creative. Let's just come up with the ideas. Yeah. And have you always had, so you mentioned you had a business partner at, um, um, what was, was the Cartier one just jumped out of my head. Loft Garden. Lo- yeah. Loft Garden. Um, uh, have you always had business partners or, uh, were some of your businesses you did yourself? Well, in, in design, it was always, well, I guess I was freelancing at the the start for a few years, um, but then working with a series of business partners through having small boutique studios. Um, but I was always kind of doing like some freelance work on the side as well. Um, but then- I, Why? Why freelance work as well? Yeah, like why, why when you had a company, um, yeah. did you want to do the freelance stuff as well? Well, that was more, I guess, from what I was talking about before, where I was, I was like, I was being more selective with the freelance work. So I wasn't just taking on any freelance projects, but it would be like if say some music project came up, which was, uh, again, cool. You can design this album for such and such or do this. It's like, okay, great. I can do that as more of like a fun passion, passion type thing. And so that's where I guess it, it changed. Like, I, yeah, I wasn't sort of trying to freelance to, to view it just as a second like design business to run. That became more like, all right, I know that I can have a lot more fun. Well, not, fun's not the right word. but a, a It lot wasn't more necessarily it, to pay the bills. It was to do things that you really enjoy doing. Yeah. So then the work that I would be doing for a client in more of an agency setting, I didn't need to have that like creative imprint always 
being on there or I could sit back and look at things and go like, all right, how can we find the best solution for the client here rather than like how can I stroke my own creative ego? <laughs> yeah, which because that would be, I imagine, something difficult for creatives because sometimes, you know, the business – uh, the requirements of the business does have a boundary in terms of the creativity of the you know, of the work. Not all businesses are just popping out these hugely creative out there things that are going to win awards. Sometimes yeah, yeah. they just really need a nice looking thing that represents the brand well and communicates the, the, the particular values of the company. Yeah. Um, and, and so as a creative, you know, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, do you ever like – do you have to hold yourself back sometimes? You're like, oh, we could do this and this and this and this and this. But but that might not be relevant for that client. Yeah, oh, totally. And I think that I, again, I used to feel more um, stress around that where I'd be like the client wants to go in this direction but we could do so much more. We could do this, this, this and this. And I think, again, like a lot of my sort of thoughts around design also changed the more that I got into improv because one other aspect of that is active listening, which is what we talk about, um, where the idea is that like there's active listening and passive listening. So if we're having a conversation and you're already thinking of the next thing to say to me in your head, um, you might still think you're like listening to me, but it's a very passive approach to do it. Whereas if you are completely blank and listening to every word that I'm saying, trying to really understand and then responding to what I'm saying rather than what you think you should say next – that's where you get that real active listening sort of starting to kick in. And so the more that I practiced that through improv, the more that it helped in a design setting because I was more, I was better able to like understand what the client actually needed and what they were saying rather than thinking in my own head of like, oh, I've got this picture of this rebrand we could do and it could do this, this and everything else. So I think that approach of like what does the client really, really want? What are they really saying to you? overruling any sort of, you know, of, of your own like desire immediate for creative thought. expression and immediate thought. That's where I was like, all right, cool. This is easy now. Like it becomes so much easier to sort of um, to deal with those settings and you don't feel stressed about the creative side at all. And you can also, I mean, that's, that's a rule that can be applicable to speaking to anyone, particularly your team members. Clients are obviously a great example. Yeah. But even your team, like if you're actively listening rather than, planning on quickly firing back with what you want to say when, when they finish speaking, even if it takes, like I assume you take, I say I assume because I probably don't do it enough, but <laughs> I assume it would take you longer to, to respond. Like on, you'd probably take a, a few seconds to pause before responding, but at least your response will, will, will have taken in exactly what they were trying to communicate to you and you're responding in a way that they, they can feel like, okay, he did just listen to me. Like he's going to – he sees my problem. He's going to resolve that problem. Yeah, and I think with time and practice of that, the response time comes right down because it's actually like when you're thinking of things in your head, you're trying to wade through so much more than when there's nothing in there and you're purely just focusing on the other person. So then like if we're having a conversation and all I need to do right now is focus on like you and listening to what you're saying – rather than thinking my own thoughts, looking around the room, going like, oh, that's a nice TV, oh, that light's kind of cool, um, trying to like focus as much as I can on just listening to your words, then it's like, great, there's only one thing for me to respond to, whereas you're sort of blocking out all these other, you know, stimuli that are hard, coming in. It's hard to do that though. Like, it doesn't sound hard, but it is hard to not have your brain going like 
see. Oh, no, no, totally. And I think it's like, and this is with practice, like it took me maybe like three, four months of being very actively aware of this once I learned about this idea to um, sort of suppress things. So I would find myself like I would be talking and then my ma- my mind would start going like, oh, here's a story I could bring up. And then you'd have to just give yourself a little slap in the head and go, oh, no, shh, shh, listen, listen, listen. And then over time that just ends up happening subconsciously. And then you just get into that scenario where it's like, okay, cool, I'm great. I'm, I don't find that I'm doing this as much anymore. And it is so much easier to just be calm and present in a situation without thinking I need to try and impress this person um, or I need to sort of show my knowledge here. I need to tell a funny story. Um, I need to try and like cut them off to, to, so they'll think like, oh, wow, they knew what I was saying. And it's like all those things are just like they're not great approaches to actually really sort of connect with someone. Yeah, just calm down. Like take a chill pill Yeah, and just have a normal conversation with someone. Don't, don't, don't try to see that like don't try to have a motive. Yeah. You know, it's almost that motive like uh, whatever you're thinking, whether I want to look smart, I want to – respond fast, I want to get what I want, like get rid of all that motive and just have a human conversation. Yeah. And like don't worry about like don't worry about competency. Like worry about just like connecting with someone and and seeing if you like each other as humans first. And then the competency comes later for that check. But I feel like a lot of times people try and push the competency too much and they'll come into a room they'll be like, hey, here's what I'm great at. This is this. this. Hey, I'll do this. I can do this for you. I can do this for you. And it becomes like, you know, hard selling with here are my achievements. Here's this, 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 this. And it's like that person that you're talking to, they don't even know if they like you yet. And if they don't like you, you could be the greatest in the world. They're probably not going to do any business with you whatsoever. They're probably not going to hire you, any of those sort of things. So instead of trying to show how capable you are, I think it's always best to just like try and connect with the person and just get that vibe of like, hey, it feels like we could be friends here if this was in another setting. Great. That's a really great place to start any this, of these relationships from. Yeah, that this is great foundation. Yeah, yeah, and it's so true. When people don't do that, that is really what hard selling. That that's what people would describe as hard selling. It's it's when you do it, when you when you don't when you forget the human element. You go straight to the, you know, do this because I'm the best at doing it, and this is how I'm going to do it for you. Like that, then that's when people are oh, hard sale. I'm off. Yeah. But when there's that human element, you've got that foundation that even it's not even, you can't even call it a relationship yet. You don't even need a relationship. What you do need is the ability to see that a relationship would be possible. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And then you're like, okay, like this is, this is, you know, I, let's keep talking. Like uh, I'm curious to learn more about you. Yeah. Which is why as well, like if there's, let's say there's a, a cub event here with like a hundred people. Um, if I'm going along to that, my main thing in my head is I'll just go, cool. I'm just going to chat to one person. That's it. Nothing else. No other plans for the night, nothing else to sort of look at. So uh, the opposite side of that, which I'll take, is to go, great, I'm going to go there. I'm going to network with 20 people. I'm going to give them all my business cut, well, like my LinkedIn. Um, I'm going to like, you know, do my elevator pitch 20 times in a row. I'm going to secure three deals by the end of the night. And I think to me that is where you're just going in with the complete wrong approach. Those people never do well at Cup. And again – to, uh, someone posted this on Boa or I was commenting on someone's post on Boa the other day. They were talking about ha- having mutually beneficial relationships and when when dealing with someone always trying to see how you could be of value to them. Um, and I was literally commenting on this person's post saying, at Cub you can see the people that are there for just to gimme, 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 they never do well. 
Yeah. No one ever wants to deal with them. When people are there, they understand. Like, yeah, they they're always looking for ways to give. They understand that the concept of that too is that it also does return to you. That that is a concept. That, that this concept that's there. But when you're just there to build relationships, is is if people get the most value. Like people start all of a sudden, people start sending them clients, and they start getting referrals, and then um, someone helps them out with a new. Uh, a thing that they're doing and then they go to dinner and they have a conversation and they build a friendship and they make each other feel great uh, for, you know, at work. They're related, relating in terms of, oh, the economy is bad for me too. Is it you? Yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden these relationships just build this network of almost opportunity, positivity and, and, and relatability that, that becomes this huge force. But it, when people do what you were saying, which is common too, people do it like it's – I mean, okay – Yep, uh, no, no one looks like an immediate client. Nah, this isn't the place for me. Yep. That person will never succeed. I don't give a shit who they are. And the reason is no one wants to hang out with you either. Yep. You know, If I don't want to hang out with you, then well, I'm not going to give you my business. And the way you're acting, there's no one's going to want to hang out with you. So no one's going to give you business. You know, it's as simple as that. <laughs> and it's like I, I view it the same way of the people who are in that scenario and they always just give advice to other people and they're always cutting off and they're always like it's more important – for me to give you my advice on this thing and hear myself talk about it rather than leave a bit of silence and let you actually talk. Because if you're talking to someone, there can be this instinct to go like, okay, there's silence here. I'm going to jump in and fill that gap. And that's going to be the best scenario to push things forward. Whereas if you like ask someone a question and they don't um, respond straight away, just let it sit, give them time. They'll start talking at some stage. It could take them five seconds to think about it, but you're not then jumping in and asking a question and then answering it yourself by being one of those people who is just trying to seem like I've got all the answers for everyone here. If I give out all this and everyone's going to think I'm the person to come and speak to. Yes. And that is just another way though of being self-serving. Yeah. Like they're doing that in the same way the person's rocking up to the event, trying to speak to a minimum 30 people to get my, you know, to, to try to find a client. Like, yeah. It's the same concept. They're, they're answering that really quickly or they're trying to butt in or they're trying to show off how smart they are for the purpose of, you know, gimme, gimme, gimme. Yeah. And, and it comes across that way. You're like, yeah. man, if you would just shut up and let the rest of us speak, we'd probably enjoy you better and then we'd probably be more likely to actually yeah. <laughs> do business with you. Yeah, and stop trying to like fix everyone's things like straight away. Like understand them as people, yeah. like connect with that. Like people are imperfect and that's like, Great. So we don't need to fix those things as soon as we hear about it. Or like I found this a little bit when like I've got a almost two-year-old now and I found this just with certain people like they'd ask you about how, oh, how's it going with your baby? And you'd be like, oh, it's it's been tough with this or that or anything else. And they're like, cool, what you need to do, you need to go do this, you need to speak to a sleep specialist. You need, And I'm just like, well, hey, well, just I'm like I'm struggling through this thing here. Just like ease off a little bit. But it's that instinct to just go like I'm going to fix your problem, done move on to the next thing. And I think that that's just not an effective way to build actual genuine relationships with people. Yeah, what, what do you think drives that? Is, do you think that person's just, look how smart I am, I solved that problem, here you go. Or like what do you think drives people to do that? I think it's that. I think there's also, it's probably like a bit more of an old school male dominance type thing of like I'm going to come in here and efficiently solve all these problems, tick, 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 done. As opposed to like let's just, Talk about how we feel about things more and maybe even if you think you know the answer or a solution to someone, you don't need to give it to them. 
like exploring how they feel is going to be so much more beneficial. And again, I think this applies to if it's a client you're working with, if it's a friend, if it's anyone, um, instead of trying to always solve things, it's like, let's just try and explore what's happening. Yeah. No, like, and, and just, and it opens up conversation. It opens up deeper connection. What, what got you into this type of stuff? Like what attracted you to improv? I mean, I can't imagine that many people attract to improv because it's probably scary to get up on stage and speak. It randomly <laughs> in front of strangers. <laughs> but what do you think it was that drove you into that direction? Because, I mean, I think you said that you didn't study that. That wasn't what you were doing. You were you were doing creative media graphics. Yeah. So what, what drove you to improv? So around the time that my now wife and I started seeing each other, um, my housemates and I, we, we started running a film festival in our backyard um, it's called Growfest and it was just homemade short films. And so the idea was make a film, shoot it on your phone, you don't have to be a filmmaker and just show it to your friends. Um, and so the idea was like do something that might seem a little bit scary but without judging what you're doing and which had a, it's like the vibe of it was quite improv without sort of me really knowing that yet. Um, and so we started doing that and then we ended up getting like 50 people, 70 people, 80 people coming around and then we had to go to the venues and do like get a hundred people and that sort of thing. But it became a time where um, my wife, Maya, who she was an actor for like 15, 20 years, she said, Hey, you might want to go and just do a comedic acting workshop. If you really like making these films, um, just go do that for a bit of fun on a weekend at an acting school here in Melbourne. Um, so I went and did that. And there was just a lot of improv um, that was a part of that weekend. And I, the scripted things I didn't really like that much. Like I had to get up and perform like a scripted scene in front of a room full of actors and I'd never done anything before. That was quite intimidating. Um, but they were all lovely, but like, it was just still like, I've, I've got to learn this five minute script and do this. Um, I found that sort of more stressful than the improv, which is like, Hey, this is just kind of fun. So I started doing it for, this is a fun thing to do once a week. And it can just become like, uh, like everything doesn't always have to be about like developing yourself and all that. Like a lot of people start improv um, one to maybe just relax and do something fun that they haven't done before. Um, two, it could be to say help with like public speaking anxiety, all these sorts of things, or it could just be to like reignite that sense of play that kids have where you go to kids and you're like, all right, let's be wizards. And they're like, yay, cool. Run around. Whereas if I was to say, hey, do you want to just pretend to be wizards right now? Leave the room. Leave yeah. the room, right? <laughs> I'd probably get into it. But <laughs> but even if you were to get into it, there might be that thing to be like, hang on, let's stop. Uh, what type of wizards are we? Um, what's our backstory as wizards? Am I a good wizard or an evil wizard? Whereas kids don't care about that stuff at all. So that sense of play becomes really, really lovely as well where you have like three hours, you just go, you do it once a week, you switch your phone off and you're just kind of present in a room with people. And, and how do you and that's think- that's what, like, sorry, I was just going to say, and that's what um, initially drew me to it. And how do you think that, I guess, uh, tapping into your inner child, how do you think that, that impacts your life, or particularly in business? I think it maybe makes you think like things aren't always as serious as they might seem and you can sort of have fun and you can sort of slow down a little bit with things and not everything has to be part of this like hustle culture, like- any time you're not working is wasted time. And it's like, we work real fast paced here. We work till like midnight every week and then we work all weekends and all that sort of stuff. So I think it can kind of just provide a little bit more balance um, to your life and maybe allow you to be a little bit more focused then when you are 
working. So when I started doing it, I'd know that even if I had a really stressful day with client work or anything else, it's like, all right, I know I've got this thing tonight. I get to go and I just get to kind of relax and it becomes almost meditative. Um, and it's like, great, that can really then balance out. And then the next day I'd feel more refreshed because I wasn't going home to say then do more work. So I find doing those things where it's like, and it doesn't have to be improv. It can be like anything that you kind of are doing for no reason in a sense, like, or no um, tangible reason. No, I think that's where that you get that benefit from it. Yes. And I actually think that that's what we have lost with a lot of work from home. It's the work you do at work that's not work. You know, mm. it is the just hanging out with team members. It is just the being silly part, the having a laugh part. You know, part of work and what makes work productive is just being silly with people. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that is how you, you know, who you're silly with, you know, your family, your friends. Like, so giving your team the, the time and the ability to be together and just be silly and have a laugh that is, in my opinion, it is work. It's it's not, it may not be, um, like you were saying, I think tangible work is how you described it. Like it may not be like, oh, I'm working towards my KPIs. <laughs> what, is, what is with all these like voices <laughs> we've been doing this episode? But but uh, it may not be that. But but in my opinion, it makes all of that better because it helps your team bond and it helps your team enjoy themselves more. Um, and I, I really think that we've lost a lot of that with work from home. Yeah, I definitely agree because it's so much more. And it's, it's, it is harder to get that through a screen. You so can't. I don't, I don't care what anyone says. You can't. Totally. You can't hang out through a screen. Trust me, we tried. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not anywhere near the same thing. And I think that what you touched on there of like, you know, you have those moments where, you know, which I guess we don't really have water coolers around anymore, but like in the 90s we hanging out around the water cooler. Um, but those sort of moments of – like ideas for work can also come out of that as well. So if you have that environment that promotes that and it's not like everyone has to be heads down working at all times, it's like knowing like, great, we've maybe planted the seed in this meeting we've had about this project we're working on or this idea that we're trying to come up with. Great. Now we can go hang out and like just chill and not even think about it. And then suddenly you're opening your mind up to all these other things and like our human minds love making connections for things and they love connecting things together, which is why it's like we can have great ideas when we're like in the shower or going for a walk. So I think those are the times where you can get these really big breakthroughs if you do encourage that playfulness as a part of the overall process as well. Well, uh, yeah, and actually what you just said I think brings up a really important point, which is you do come up with a lot of your ideas in the shower or walking or at the gym or on a holiday. Yeah. You know, you come up with these great ideas in situations of relaxation. Yeah. And maybe external stimulation like, you know, oh, you're on a beach or someone just said something really interesting and you laugh or whatever it is. Yeah. And that is what that just giving your team the ability to hang out and be silly, you know, that could produce more of those situations to, to have more fantastic ideas. Definitely, because it's removing that hard expectation of like we need to leave this room in an hour with the perfect idea sorted. What did you call that concept? It was creativity without expectation. Without expectation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's a really, really cool idea. Yeah. We're going to implement that 100% into it. We do a lot of creative meetings at Cub. We like yeah. them. Um, but we do have to wrap up. Laura's doing a finger thing to me. <laughs> um, um, I guess to wrap up, you've already given a book which was Dan Heath. 
upstream thinking. Yeah, I think it's, it's swimming upstream or upstream. Yeah. Something's something like happening that. upstream. Something upstream. <laughs> um, but yeah. And and what about, I guess, a, a, a really important lesson uh, you could leave the listeners with in terms of either creativity or, or team building or communication or speaking? Um, I think maybe try as much as you can to slow down and listen to people. Like I know we've already spoken about that, but that yeah. to me would be the thing that stands out the most, like not putting pressure on yourself and other people and, you know, acknowledging that like as humans we're all primed to forget things. Like it's one of the most human qualities to forget things. So we're always going to forget things. We're always going to make mistakes. But um, again, an improv thing is not to view mistakes as bad. It's like it's just another stepping stone to get to the right place. So I think just like, yeah, being being kind to yourself and um, and not always putting so much pressure on yourself to deliver things. And yeah, all the time. That's a fantastic message. Um, well, to our listeners, if you want to uh, get in contact with Dan, you can go to club forward slash podcast and find uh, his information there um, as well as the information for Space on Earth if you want to do a workshop I know we should definitely do one at Cub, especially like I want, I want you to come to all our creativity type things. It'd be mad. Yeah. We, we go to the farm. We get real creative. Um, and also to our listeners, if you want to catch up with Cub, it's at Club United Business on Instagram. It's also awesome and it's been popping off lately, so check it out. Dan, thank you so much uh, for coming on. Thank you for having me. Hope you enjoyed the show.